1: The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.
0: This is Simon Rose. Joining me for The Bigger Picture today is Tim Evans. Tim is Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London. Um, Tim, where do you want to begin
1: today? I think we have to start um, with um, Liz Truss, uh, the Prime Minister, who's now been um in that role for uh, just over a month and and I think we've got to remind ourselves of the journey that she and her government have taken um it, uh, obviously she became prime minister and quite soon after uh we had the sad passing of <laughs> her late majesty queen Elizabeth II. after that uh, this normal business resumed and the markets believed of course that the Bank of England uh, were going to raise interest rates and they were going to do that um, very much in light for the, the super rising uh, dollar, they were going to raise it by around uh, 0.75%. Uh, as is often the case with the Bank of England, uh, they, and I quote all kinds of newspaper articles over recent months and years, they bottled it and they only raised the interest rate by 0.5%. Um, And this meant that the pound uh, continued to decline, and it continued to decline very much because of the strength of the dollar. Um, As Liz Truss had uh, presented in her case for Tory leader, she and her chancellor then unleashed uh, their mini budget, uh, and it was radical, Uh, it was supply-side oriented, um, and it talks about uh, deregulation, getting rid of the sort of the EU regulatory playbook, lower taxes, um, a tax off, a penny off income tax for everyone, reducing a high rate of tax for higher earners from 45% to 40% uh, and all those things. Um, uh, the market continued to uh, Uh, respond badly, the pound continued to go down, um, and there was clearly a crisis. I would also say, to be very blunt, I thought there were poor communications from the government. Many governments communicate poorly, but I thought this one did a particularly bad job. And they did a bad job because they didn't really laser in on the appreciating value of the dollar, and quite frankly, the parlous record of the Bank of England, and no backbencher or, or former minister really accurately uh, called the Bank of England out. Um, nor did they uh, question the track record of other international bodies like the International Monetary Fund, uh, or indeed point which out, which,
0: which criticised the mini budget.
1: Which, which is quite indeed, unusual, and quite unusual, and also, um, and more extraordinary, um, uh, no member of the government, the Prime Minister, of the Chancellor, did not point out, they, they failed to communicate that when we previously reduced our high rate of tax, because of course it had been at 50%, but brought it down to 45%, the government got more revenue in, um, and the likelihood is that if you'd reduced it again and attracted uh, more people uh, to work in the UK, more talent, the likelihood is that if you grow the pie, Again, you'd have had more money in from high earners. Let's be clear: the top one percent of taxpayers uh, already uh, produce about thirty percent of, of of the income tax. So it's not as if they're boxing below their weight. Anyway, yes, the IMF piled in, um, uh, and but what was quite funny was that very quickly, uh, the Bank of England, of course, hadn't in, uh, increased its uh, interest rates substantially, and and the IMF. Uh, Piled in, very worried. But then it was a matter of only a day or two, and the Office for National Statistics pointed out that actually Britain wasn't in a recession. The economy hadn't shrunk in the three months up to June. It had expanded, and that they had to revise the figure up. Well, there was so much turpitude uh, and chaos uh, and, and miscommunication by then that, of course, there was a U turn. The high rate of tax. Uh, is not being reduced. Therefore, the irony for me um, is we won't probably bring in as much uh, revenue from the higher paid as we should. And very quickly, you have well, you have uh, people in the Daily Telegraph uh, arguing that uh, Liz Truss is the new Theresa May. Uh, and and within hours uh, of that, uh, one member of the cabinet, Penny Mordent, um uh, started to criticise uh, what she thought would be government plans on welfare and, and the idea that he wouldn't be spending enough on welfare. So what an extraordinary journey. Um, good policies from the government. Um, I have no problem in reducing tax for the better off, particularly if it's going to bring uh, more revenue in. Uh, what I do have a problem with is poor communication um, and also, dare I say it, um, a political party, a major political party, that seems to have um, sort of splintered, it shattered. It. It's 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 a piece of shrapnel. Um, it, it's an endless stream of different factions.
0: Yes, and only two years to go to the next election. You talk about poor communication um, with regard to the country as a whole, and perhaps international markets as well. But it does seem as if communication, even among her own party is not particularly good. Um, When she came into power and made the appointments for her cabinet, um, she mostly seemed to be appointing people she knew and trusted and those who'd been supporting Rishi Sunak seemed to be sort of cast into outer darkness. Do you think that was wise?
1: Um, Well, I think that whether it was uh, wise or not, when you have the amount of debt that Britain has, when you have the amount of debt uh, uh, across the West that currently exists, and when you realize that we are all potentially, whether we've had governments of the left or the right, whether they've been broad and inclusive churches in the way that your question denotes, or whether they've been populist or whatever, uh, it seems to me that both here with Liz Truss, but in other parts of the West, politicians are getting into very, very hot water. And an awful lot of the sort of policies, uh, the low interest rates, with the assumption that that was going to go on forever, the idea that there was indeed a magic money tree, that is coming to a shuddering halt. So whether um, Britain goes for a more prudent approach, prices money, uh, i.e. the interest rates in, in a slightly more robust and proactive way um, and, and whether we actually push through the supply side reforms to get growth that is needed, whether we do that now or in the future, that seems to me to be the only viable option. Um, and for the life of me, uh, I cannot see Liz Truss being able to do that in Britain, but someone will have to do it eventually. You cannot live on the never, never forever and just go on kicking the can down the
0: road. We have discussed this so many times over the years on show radio and in private conversations, uh, Tim, but of course the longer it's gone on, the more difficult it is to normalize interest rates at all because debt has increased with corporations, governments, and uh, individuals. I mean, we we saw that's why the markets take take fright because the moment that the magic money tree is exposed as being completely illusory,
1: what on earth is going to happen then? Well, what's really fascinating, I think, is, I mean, the irony of all this for me is that uh, despite the Bank of England bottling it, I mean, do you remember all those months in 2011, 2012? It went on and on, month in, month out, year in, year out, where the Bank of England said there will be rate rises they will happen soon, three yes. yes. months from now, any quarter yes. now and they cried wolf, and they cried wolf. And that's gone on now for more than a decade. And QE has not been unwound. Um, and what this leads me to think is that, um, that now, whatever the Bank of England is doing, when you actually look at banks or building societies withdrawing their products withdrawing mortgages, and you see interest rates in the market going up, well, many of those uh, products, you know, they're becoming more expensive, despite the continuation of the low interest rates by the central bank. So what you're seeing is you're seeing, ironically, the market starting to price in risk with, again, the Bank of England behind the market. Yes. The Bank of England, ironically, has created a situation, I would argue, where they're increasingly being sidelined. They're, they're, they're behind the curve in their response to the US Fed, whether they, whereas they should have been ahead. And they're now increasingly falling behind the perceived subjective risk in the market. This, for me, means that the Bank of England uh, deserves a lot more scrutiny, because I think that the Bank of England has not performed well. It hasn't delivered uh, its mandate on inflation. Um, It hasn't defended or promoted the pound and it's been parlously behind the market.
0: Tim, thank you very much indeed. Time for us to change subject.
1: Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.
0: This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio. Uh, You can find this and many other episodes of The Bigger Picture uh, on your favourite podcast platform by uh, searching for Harkin. That's without the vowels, just H-R-K-N, and you will get The Bigger Picture, as well as things like uh, The Business of Film and gadgets and Gizmos and Financial Outlook and more. Uh, But I am talking now to Tim Evans, Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London. Tim, what's our second topic
1: well, I think um, in these moments of difficulty for the government, um, uh, the ONS uh, arguing that we have a recession and discovering we're not in a recession, um, and all the discussion we've had around the Bank of England, we should not forget that there are huge changes afoot uh, elsewhere in the world. There are huge problems uh, across Europe. Um, there is clearly uh, an economic slow down over there uh, as we start to move into winter. There's um, huge ec- energy crunch coming their way. Um, there are still massive problems in China. And increasingly, uh, as businesses uh, and politicians reevaluate the future, they reassess the future in light of all these developments with Russia and Ukraine and COVID and all the rest of it. I, I think you're starting to see Europe, uh, European politics and its businesses uh, gently pivot away from China. And what that means for Chinese growth in the future, Chinese stability uh, is anyone's guess. But I do think at moments like this of immense change, um, that, you know, immense change brings a rather different future to the one that was previously assumed, not least by academics and experts. Um, where this leaves China in the future, I'm not sure. Of course, the great danger for them is that if they move away from, from again everything that we've been familiar with over recent years, which is sort of growth rates of four, five, six, seven percent, but they can only muster two uh, percent or or something even more anemic than that. Boy, could we see some challenges um, in China looming and very quickly?
0: Do you think that China is likely to? changed direction because it seems to be the, 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 the market forces we thought were driving China and their desire to have um, a growing and fast growing economy and a growing middle class seems to have gone in reverse. But I mean, as you know, you always provide pieces for me to, to read and the piece I've been reading um, talks quite openly about how China depends more on Europe than the other way round. I mean, without the help of uh, Western economies to keep China going. Um, China, as you say, is going to be in deep trouble. So do you think then that that might actually um, make China
1: decide perhaps it should actually be more market-orientated again? Well, I think it's exactly that question. It's that Y-junction that is increasingly presenting itself to the leadership of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, If uh, the Chinese government, which is fairly dynastic, let's sort of understand it in the context of broader Chinese history. If the Chinese Communist Party wants to continue in power, then it's gonna have to satisfy the population. It's gonna have to meet uh, their desires and their expectations. If, If it doesn't do that, then the regime will have to become more autocratic, more authoritarian, and therefore more fragile and potentially more brittle. If Xi Jinping wants to maintain uh, the regime's agility, its elbow room, I think he's going to have to move in a slightly more liberal and market-oriented direction to the one that he assumed. He basically is a corporatist. He believes in a strong state um, uh, having its fingers in the pie of, of enterprises and organizations that have a degree of freedom. But the degree of freedom that he's allowing, I don't think, is enough um, to sustain China mm. uh, on the road to prosperity. So, I think, I think that just you know, as just as the British government has learnt some lessons in recent days, um, just as clearly Joe Biden is rather surprised by the decision of Saudi Arabia and UAE uh, and OPEC to fall in line with Russia um so i think and i think putin is probably very surprised at the underperformance of his uh, of his military so i think that xi jinping uh did not foresee uh the new pressures he faces uh as china sort of starts come out perhaps of the worst days of covid and reengage with uh, the global economy
0: cuz still has this this zero tolerance policy with with covid and we've just seen that virgin has decided to cut its route to Hong Kong, no longer consider it worth, worthwhile at all. I mean, Ang- Hong Kong, you know, from our, our perspective, is rather sad what's happened there.
1: Indeed. And, you know, if, if, if you're sitting in Beijing um, and you look out, uh, given the partnership you've had, uh, in some ways with, with Russia, given the way you've handled COVID, given the way you've, well, not handled, but mishandled Hong Kong. If you're sitting in Beijing, how are you going to maintain um, uh, your sort of influence in the world? How are you gonna be attractive uh, as a partner to other players? Um, What is India now thinking? What are other major players in Southeast Asia thinking about you? You If you're in India, for example, would you today be buying your weapon systems from Russia? Would you be um, would you be inspired uh, by China, assuming that it's going to maintain the high growth trajectory that it's been on, or would you have more questions? You know, if you if you were in the Indian leadership, would you be worried uh, uh, about the declining growth rates in China and their potential to become more autocratic and more brittle? Um, the, there are lots of questions that COVID um, and the problems in Eastern Europe have thrown up and they're rippling through the world. Um and I am not yet convinced that Xi Jinping will go down the liberal path. Uh I think uh that he will want to retain his autocratic grip on power. And in there lies the seeds of all manners of problems for him. Just um, very briefly, is his position unassailable? Well I don't think it's on a, no one's position is unassailable um but I think that he has some very difficult and in his mind some unexpected decision points coming up um he has amassed a lot of power to himself he's had this immense drive fighting corruption actually what that's really been about uh is uh maintaining His own control over the party and his own sort of allies in power. He won't want to go down the road of totalitarianism simply because that won't work. But whereas he would be wise to pivot again to a degree of liberalism, does he really have it within himself and his vision to really gird himself for that? Does he have the courage? And does he have the admiration across society to to be able to do that? Mm. I'm not sure he does. I think he's getting boxed in. And I think the risk for him is that he's been so uh, hardline on COVID. Uh, He set himself such a high bar. Um, I think that his economy has been so hard hit. I think Putin has been such a failure um, that... Xi Jinping is having to think again, but I see nothing from his record that makes me think he's going to make the right call. I'm not a betting man, but if I were, uh, if I was forced to, I think he will double down on the situation. Um, I'm not convinced he's going to liberalise.
0: Okay, that's interesting. We have one more topic, so let's move on to that. Um, And you want to talk about um, Labour Party, which uh, must have, Felt you know very happy at its conference, um, given the turmoil in the markets, which they could all blame on the Conservatives.
1: Yeah, I think for 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 me, what's so interesting about Keir Starmer's Labour Party is that uh, it's riding very high in the opinion polls. I suspect those opinion polls will narrow, uh, particularly given the next election could be eighteen months or two years away. What, what, what's so different about Keir Starmer to, um, uh, to Tony Blair's Labour Party? Remember, Blair became leader of the Labour Party uh, sort of during the spring and summer of 1994. What's so different is that very quickly, Tony Blair developed uh, not only a fairly detailed programme, but he developed political atmospherics that signal to Middle England, don't worry, um, new Labour, uh, is the best of the Labour Party and the best of the soft edges of the Tory Party melded together, and and it, and it did win favour, and of course he won uh, a hefty majority. But and and, and Blair was able to capitalise on wheels falling off the John Major bus. But but he he developed a programme. I remember having a fairly good idea by August '94 what what Tony Blair was about. And, and, and it turned out, did not only did I have a clear idea of what they were gonna be out, but um, for my pain masters at the time, I was able to make some pretty insightful uh, predictions that, that came to pass. I could see that Tony Blair, for example, was gonna take a penny off income tax. I could see that he was going to try and modernize the public services and and do things in a more innovative way. He wanted to liberalise the human services. He wasn't against the private sector. Um, He was going to be an ally of the United States. He was going to maintain Britain's independent nuclear deterrent. So there were many things that were sort of known and that warmed, sort of middling the nut to him. Um, What I feel about Keir Starmer is, I think Keir Starmer um, has become known to the British public throughout all the recent crisis of this government and and, and, and the previous with with Boris Johnson, I think people feel that they know Keir Starmer. And I think one of his great qualities is that he's actually a very, very good administrator. Um, He can juggle several issues at once and he's very, very straight. He goes through those issues methodically from A to B, from B to C. Um, and those of course are the qualities of of a king's counselor of you know of of a highly qualified um uh barrister um and uh, uh, and indeed as he was a public prosecutor um where i fear for him is i don't know if he has or if he's communicating even um the political atmospherics of his program um I only have a vague understanding of what a Keir Starmer government would do, but I don't have strident or confident views. I'm making assumptions. And I think that very quickly, um, he's got to make it known into what sort of prime minister would he be? What is the policy offer uh, on things like tax, regulation, welfare, What's his, what's his view on education, healthcare? Do all the numbers add up? Um, we ha- that he has a lot of work to do to make Middle England, Middle Britain, feel that, that they're comfortable also with his program. And on that, I think he's behind where Tony Blair would well, certainly was at the at the same stage of the electoral cycle. So I think. Um, in some ways he's he may be ahead of the polls but he's behind where I think he should be in terms of his policy agenda
0: Thank you very much indeed I've been in conversation with Tim Evans, Tim is Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London Tim will be back with me in two weeks time, Mike Indian, political commentator will be with me um, next week but that's it for this edition of The Bigger Picture (laughs)
1: The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.